Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Billy Allen is a chef that we've had here for quite some time. And if you didn't know, much of his story is actually rooted in the inspiring cuisine of Alice Waters from Chez Panisse and also Scott Peacock back in the days of Watershed when it was in Decatur. And if you followed Atlanta dining for long enough, you would know that the beauty and delight and true inspiration that Billy and Kristen created with Cakes and Ale. And it was truly a restaurant after my own heart as it was for many, many others. And you'd also know everything that Billy and his team have created with Bread and Butterfly at Inman Quarter and also with Proof Bake Shop. So Billy and I caught up on the patio at Bread and Butterfly so I could hear more of his story. Here he is. Cord on this thing. Um, again, this is like, this is probably my favorite setting to be in. Like, especially because it's not like blazing hot anymore, yeah. but... Just being on a patio, like you can hear kind of everything that's happening in the background. Um, and this is just a cool spot. I feel like we don't spend enough time here, but I really love it. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Have a good one. See you later. Uh, have a good, good one. We're all right. out. Um, yep. All right. We're done. No, this is Atlanta is a city now. Like yeah. for years we lived here and it just didn't feel urban in a way, mm -hmm. you know, but this area from here up to Georgia State, almost to Decatur, you know, especially with all the stuff going on is like wow, this is a finally becoming an urban city in a way. Yeah. You know, people not just driving in, driving out. Yeah. You know? Well, it's also crazy. My wife and I were talking about it because we walked through, I mean, we'll, we'll walk through, like, we'll, we'll walk down the Beltline, we'll come down Lake uh, or Irwin, and then, you know, like, we'll cut through, like, where that little duck pond is over there, and then we'll cut through Emden Quarter. But yeah. you we know, were talking about it the other day, and I remember when this was just a dirt lot. Yeah. Like, there was nothing here. It's like we would go to Free Tea, mm -hmm. you know, or... Um, I mean, we would go to like Barcelona and all. I mean, cause there was some stuff on Highland, but, uh, but I just remember when this was nothing yeah. like there was like Mad Hat and, uh, there's no Ben and Jerry's. Like, no, there was no Ben like and Jerry's. You and Ford Fry and our buddy, uh, Billy across the way. Is that what you call him? Billy across the way? Uh, I, 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 I do, <laughs> but only in, uh, intimate moments. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah. he's, a, he's a good person. He's to a give good a hug. guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good person to give a hug to. But, yeah. um, but without further ado, Mr. Billy Allen. Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Yeah, we're excited to talk. Yeah, I am very excited to talk to you. I have been for a long time. Yeah, we've kind of been planning this for a long time. Yeah, we've been planning this since before I started the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all. Yeah, but no, I think we emailed or talked or whatever, what, three months ago maybe? Something like that. Yeah. I know, but I've also, I've been, I've been like, uh, you know, kind of in maybe less than Kind of like one to two degrees of separation, like from you. So okay. like hanging out or chatting with like Melissa Davis or okay. people that, that, you know, are, you know, close with you or have worked with you or, you know, from any number of you know years that have gone by. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, this is, this is really awesome. I mean, I think the, the thing that's, that's, that's so great about being able to have so many different people on the show is everybody has a different, you know, portion of Atlanta that they've known from a business perspective. And then as things have grown over the years and, um, you know, especially, you know, for, for some of like the newer, newer places, you know, it's, it's less of like, a you know, man, there's all this Atlanta lore to get through and like the restaurant community and, 
Um, but you, you kind of have a balance of that is like, you've really scaled, like as time has gone on. Um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about like a lot of the business side, you know, getting into like cakes and ale and proof and bread and butterfly and, um, and great plug for you because I love this patio. We're actually sitting over at bread and butterfly and it's wonderful. Yeah. The it's great, great patio, the weather, uh, accommodated us today. It did. It did. It did. It didn't have to. No, it didn't. Do. I don't know if anybody knows that, but it didn't have to. No, no we, um, did, we didn't even, <laughs> didn't even ask. Well, no, we didn't. We just, we just went for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but let's get to know you a little bit. Okay. So I'm going to ask you the same question that everybody else gets on the show. So tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Um, in the past, I gave great props to my grandmother who was a phenomenal cook and uh, Italian um, outside of Naples. So we would have a big, huge Italian feast with she and her uh, sisters and all her cousins. And I remember those, but I don't know... I think the enjoyment of cooking came from my mom. Like I always said my grandmother, because I think the story seemed more reasonable, but really my mom, she was a very good cook, not as good as my grandmother naturally, but when that when Martha Stewart hit the scene, my mom went crazy with Martha Stewart cooking, huh. and it was the food was great. She executed wonderfully. Mm-hmm. We would cook it together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when you put the two of them together and I remember the we'll call them parties my grandmother and granddad and her sisters had mm-hmm. that was entertaining that was everyone coming together let's let's eat let's feast you know yeah uh, there was order to it but just crazy at the same time but my mom was a really good cook and she liked really good food so we were lucky enough to go out to eat and try things uh, in other cities and she wasn't afraid of you know, having a squid salad and having the tentacles hanging out of her mouth. And, you know, this is early on that we would, you know, like she and I would just eat whatever it was. Um, she didn't replicate a lot at home, but what she made was really, really solid. And we loved uh, the finished product together when we worked on something, you know, biscuits or when we moved to the south or her spaghetti sauce that, you know, took seven hours to make and better than my grandma's i think mine's better than hers but she argues with me about that one <laughs> is it uh is it a sauce or is it a gravy uh more gravy yeah it's gravy yeah yeah, yeah. We call it a sauce uh lamb beef chicken pork all stewed in tomato for six seven hours as right. low as you can take it and yeah. as much garlic as you think your body can uh keep inside of you and just a really beautiful thing (laughs) we did serve it at cakes and ale once in a while just special occasion or random times i would make it i would have been there probably for one of those events but uh yeah you know it's it's so funny uh because you grew up where um i'm a new yorker by birth mostly Mm -hmm. the yankees today oh what gave it away yeah you should have looked at your shirt (laughs) yeah Yeah. on long island so i should be mets but i'm yankees um (laughs) jacksonville florida very briefly and then to greenwood south carolina upstate south carolina gotcha um, yeah it's uh it's funny you know and talking about um you know being being like a you know a northerner like living in like the the northeast and then you move to the south you know the if you ask a southerner like oh yeah like gotta get the gravy ready you know, like if you were separated but just having a conversation over the phone two people would prepare completely different things like yeah. your mother's or your grandmother's gravy is going to be like a spaghetti sauce but like, yeah, know, it's just yeah, like exactly. you just don't know but then if you ask like a true like deep southerner like get me some peas 
it's not a bag of green peas. Like yeah. they probably mean like black eyed peas. Yeah, they're going to pull a bag of black eyed peas exactly. frozen or yes. yeah, yeah. sit on the porch and shell. Field peas, man. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just so funny that some of like the, the nomenclature of things, like it's mm-hmm. just, and it, it's just because it's just such like muscle memory. It's like, what are peas? Like, well, peas are those. Yeah. Not, and I don't know what those are. I don't know what those green things are. You yeah. Know? It was but, a moving to the South, like some of the foods that were presented to us from what I grew up in, either in, New York or when we moved to Jacksonville there was southern culture in Jacksonville but it was really a transplant transplant for northerners for sure you know so we had some of the same things until we met our across the street neighbors the Croomses and uh, she would invite us over for dinner and make the most amazing biscuits and fried chicken and southern food and uh, Beverly was uh, like and her uh, daughter Nikki was my best friend for a long time growing up and they were transplants from New Jersey mm. but she grew up in the south and then to New Jersey back to Jacksonville and she did not let go of that southern cooking which she probably brought north where my mom brought northern cooking south yeah and we kept with that and they were eating southern and then they came back and then you know next thing you know we're all eating together and they're having our gravy we're having her gravy mm-hmm. you know where did you grow up or yeah. where were you born I grew up in Florida okay. I grew up in Orlando yeah so just hops given to jump away from jacksonville yeah so it's funny like when you talk about like the regional styles of cuisine like i mean i I grew up with like a lot of like the you know stereotypical like southern cuisine like a lot of like heavier rib sticking you know Mm -hmm. especially like but across all meals it was breakfast lunch and dinner like there were things that were just you know kind of commonplace and but i mean the the thing that i remark on the most like growing up in central florida was that barbecue was really interesting because everybody had like a cloyingly sweet barbecue sauce Mm -hmm. and everything was really really heavily smoked Mm -hmm. but not not at the point of like oh like you know we we slow smoke this for like you know 12 or 14 hours yeah. whole hog you know like in someone's backyard but you know it's uh it, it's so it was so different like the i remember the first time that i actually went to texas and had texas style barbecue but i lived in charlotte north carolina for a long time and the first time that i had carolina style barbecue um was also probably right next to the first time that I ever had cornbread that was not like cake yeah you know just so i don't know if it was the same thing in jacksonville but it was so sweet and it had corn in it and then when I had, you know, cornbread from someone who was making it in a cast iron skillet, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like yeah. sugar in my cornbread? Like it was almost like it was blasphemy. Yeah. So, so yeah. different. Yeah. No, know? we, my mom would make uh, corn muffins probably mix and they were sweet and we loved the sweet. Of course, when you're young, you're like, Ooh, sugar. I Everything, want it. Yeah. And then in, when we moved to South Carolina, the shock of the food, which I was never in general, as I got older, I was never afraid of eating anything. So as soon as we moved there, which was around 81, 82, 82, right after Clemson had won their first national championship, the town's close to Clemson. So oh, okay. I pulled gotcha. for them. And that's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, that's how I, dates mean nothing to me. I have to play some event now. <laughs> I'm, I'm old enough that it's all about events. Right. Uh, to, right. To differentiate time. Yeah. Um, but the, collard greens never in my life had i had them until mm-hmm. uh the the club in our neighborhood gatewood club collard greens and we had macaroni and cheese but not macaroni and cheese yeah you know like this was completely eye-opening even though it was no different than the the braised greens i may have eaten my grandmother made 
but never collard greens. Right. You know, and so right. getting them was like, these are ridiculously good. Yeah. You know, and I would eat them right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, Ooh, I'm not going to touch those. Yeah. Um, and that was fun to be, in a way, a, a Yankee in Deep South. You know, we would cook, you know, big uh, you know, whatever pot roast, Yankee pot roast, and mm-hmm. things like that. Which maybe in the South you would do too, but go to a friend's house for Sunday or Saturday lunch, and it was just s- Southern to the bone. Yeah, the cooking, and they would come over and it was Southern like, to the bone. Southern to the bone. I like that. Northern to the bone. Yeah, you know, and it was just <laughs> like a really. Uh, as far as food goes, like you can tell, I like food. Like I've always mm-hmm. liked food. I've always mm-hmm. liked eating. I was never afraid of anything maybe past five years old you know I yeah just didn't matter i ate it right um my kids are very different than that but um, <laughs> I feel like everybody's kids are going to be different at least yeah. in some ways that's a fun part about exactly. it exactly um how'd you get into cooking uh just always had cooked just you know loved smelling the food tasting the food mm-hmm. you know i mean i think if you go in a kitchen and you just don't say, oh, that smells good. And you really go in there and you, you smell it and you you smell what's in it. And I don't know if ever, if it's a skill or it's, I don't know what it is, but I always had that. Like I would go in the kitchen and not just go, that smells good and walk out like maybe my dad would. But I would go and I would just smell what was cooking and just love uh, the essence of, of that and... Um, whether it be the, the, the gravy or uh, baking chicken. We did northern chicken with really sweet uh, mm-hmm. barbecue sauce. Right. And sugar, so much sugar. But I, I love just the smell of that caramelization. And I could yeah. pick that out, maybe not knowing what it was, but I just knew, oh, something's happening with that sugar. Mm-hmm. So that, it was always in me. You know, it was, uh, that was what I always liked to do, watching cooking shows, the Great Chef series especially. That's what I grew um, up on, man. Yeah. Like, my like real cooking shows. For sure. And well, and it's so funny, like Great Chefs of like the West, you yeah. know, like a lot of that was, you know, guys in like whites and a toque. And for the most part, they were French chefs because yeah. they mm-hmm. were from Paris, mm-hmm. you know, and they didn't even speak English. Most of that show was translated. Was translated oh yeah. my gosh. And like, that was a cooking show. That I mean, it, cooking it, I remember sitting on the... You know, probably not paying much attention, but I have very vivid memories of my mother watching Great Chefs, and I was probably playing with GI Joes or whatever. Um, but it was that and Julia Child. Yeah, you know, those Julia are the ones. Well, and Jacques Pepin. And Jacques Pepin. Mm-hmm. Yep, and those are the ones that I remember the most. And uh, but to this day, like I just remember thinking it was so weird. It's like that guy doesn't look like he's talking. It looks like mm-hmm. someone else is talking. Yeah, it's because he didn't speak English, right. and I didn't probably. Yeah, they you just know. imported the flavors, yeah. and that's the intriguing thing about cooking from, you know, New York in the. 70s and 80s maybe even earlier really san francisco food didn't have an identity really yeah and so these french chefs were brought in european chefs to say okay this is what we should be eating Mm -hmm. so this goes past further past what we you know uh, uh, how i got to cooking but it comes back to you know developing your own identity yeah so i think my identity food in some way has always been involved with my identity yeah. you know growing up i we got to eat well at good restaurants i always was a, a better cook even if it was just making a grilled cheese and a lot of my friends you mm-hmm. know like these basic things donut 
holes and mm-hmm. um we would do i don't know if you ever ate they're so good you get like hungry jack biscuits and pull a hole in them and mm-hmm. deep fry them and yeah dude kind of like a it's, yeah. a it's a cronut before cronut right um right but i just knew how to cook them so they weren't doughy but not dry yeah you know and i was just <laughs> like the somehow it just came naturally i don't know yeah um but long story short though it's already been long is um, I cooked through high school, junior high, high school, college, random various places. Uh, went to um, University of North Carolina, Charlotte for three years. Um, just didn't enjoy the, the school or the, 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 the life there. Decided to go to Charleston and transfer to College of Charleston. Um, started College of Charleston. Johnson and Wales was still there. And I right. was like, yeah, let's just see what it's about. And I went, and really great old building, like, uh, good reputation, you know, they seemed reasonable, but I'm like, nah, I might as well, why am I doing this? I'm going to finish school, and then, you know, get a job, and I finished school, and started in investments, um, and did portfolio management, brought, my wife's job brought us to San Francisco, and I doing portfolio management, and she's an engineer from Georgia Tech, Atlanta, born and raised, and, um, did that for gosh how many more years four years in san francisco continue to do it but just the eye-opening food um yeah so i visited the cca that while i was still working just to say yeah what's it like Mm -hmm. you know clearly i wanted to do it i just didn't know what type of leap off point if it made sense i have a great career why do something like this yeah um uh, i think god i may have gone three times to check the school out and Hmm. finally after just coming to terms with it, I went home one day and said to my wife, Kristen, uh, is it okay if I quit and go to culinary school? And I, I assumed complete support, but not as simple as, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's it. And she's like, is that's what you want to do? Let's do it. So yeah. culinary school. Um, and that brought me to the professional, the true professional realm of cooking. Yeah. Um, and the, Gosh, how long ago? I don't even know how many years. Again, events, events. Yeah. Uh, post 9-11, um, which I think had an effect in a way. Gotcha. Yeah. And and then you guys made your way back to Atlanta, like right around like 2004 or so? Yeah, we came right? back uh, 2000 and... I came back January 2004. No, February 2004, and she came back January. Gotcha. And I know something about your story because uh, there's actually, I mean, I've had a few people on the show, like just people that I know that have, that also have Scott Peacock in, mm-hmm. in as part of their story. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Uh, so I called my chef. So I interned, I was what I would consider, I'm not positive it's truth, but I assume it's pretty close. Longest intern at Chez Panisse um, while I was in culinary school. I mm-hmm. basically wouldn't leave him alone and uh, would ask him anytime I could work, please let me work, let me intern. And my official internship was going to be there, but for the prior eight months before my official three-month internship, when I secured it, I said, please let me work anytime. And they were like, well, we have interns. It's not a big kitchen. Other interns, you have to wait. And I'm like, okay, if ever. And then what happens? They call me, and I work one day a week for a couple months. And then they're like, well, new interns. Something happens to them. They're like, well... If you want to work some more, we you can work three or four days a week, and so I did that all the way through my internship. Um, so I worked with a gentleman named Chris Lee, who 
a phenomenal cook, phenomenal teacher. And we had two chefs at the time, Kelsey Kerr and Chris Lee. Um, before we moved back, I was in Napa at the time. I called Chris and said, you know, I'm going to Atlanta. We go and see my wife's family, but we don't really go out to eat, you know, that much. It's family. It's quick. It's weekends in and out. You know, where should I cook? What should I do? And he said, I don't know a lot of people, but from what I gather, you have um, Scott Peacock, who he had met, who's friends with Alice Waters. And you have Ann Quatrano, who is a Zuni alum, and, uh, you know, he knew about her from the Zuni path, which are all kind of shaped in East Pass. Right. And she was like the Alice Waters of Atlanta. She was like the Alice. <laughs> she really was. I mean, just uh, Big time. one of the, the, the greatest thinkers about this business that I've yeah. ever met, really, truly. I, ad- I adore her. Yeah. So, um, so I went, this is funny, I'm going to call her out on it uh, one day and ask her. I, I went to Bacchnalia, uh days after we moved here with a resume. Uh, we were pregnant with our first son, Kristen, eight months, at least eight months, maybe seven and a half months. Wow. Uh, I walk into the restaurant and say, you know, is Jeff Gotrano here? I want to drop off my resume. And they're like, uh, we'll take it. They bring it to her. And they're like, well, it'll be a little while, you know, just hang out. And they had, Anne at the time owned a baby store right across from Bacchnalia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not certain what's there or what was there when Bach was still there. Or the uh, 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 little star is now across from it. And they're like, well, let's go over there. We're pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. and see it's a baby store, see what they have. So we were in there talking, hanging out. Uh, Anne comes over, looks at the resume starts talking to us really to Kristen and says you know oh you're pregnant and Kristen oh, yeah 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 we're seven and a half months or whatever and right. she's like well do you need a job and Kristen's like well I haven't thought about it but yeah I do need a job she's like well we need someone here and what's better than a pregnant woman in a, preg- in a store for baby a baby store and right. she's like okay she's like can you start next week this is my partner and so she started working so I'm like well look at me I'm <laughs> And I'm here, too. And she's like, uh, have your resume. Thank you very much. And, wow. And goes, uh, uh, walks away. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is, this is, this is it. I'm, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, now I, I laugh about it because we've become uh, uh, friends. And I, I, yeah. I know, you know, she attracted the best talent, without a doubt. And yeah. I think my resume was 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 solid but if she didn't need anyone she didn't need anyone mm-hmm. and that's kind of the Anne way you know there's yeah. no you know she doesn't mess around yeah so the next stop was uh watershed and uh, i did a stage at watershed and i uh, was like okay great i hadn't met scott at the time I said okay great uh wonderful let me know go home a couple of days later i hadn't heard from him and i'm like hmm, i wonder what's going on maybe this just just you know, different. We're in the South. Things move slower. I don't know what's going on. Why, why am I not getting any calls back? Right. And then I get a call um, from uh, Stephen Satterfield, who was a uh, sous chef there at the time. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, Scott wants you to come in and meet with him. So I go in and I meet Scott and they're kind of like, well, we don't really have a position. This is to Scott. And Scott's like, I don't care. Hire him. And they're like, well, what is he going to do? They're like, figure it out. Basically summary. And I was like, okay, well, wow. we'll see what happens, what, what we do. And so just under three years as a sous chef there, two and a half years, I started as a line cook until we had our baby. Yeah. Um, just, I didn't want to be tied down to the hours and in a way. And um, uh, Scott's 
a wonderful friend now. Um, always fun to chat with. Yeah. Where does uh, he live now? He's, he's in not Birmingham. Alabama. Is um, it Birmingham? Or? No, no. He's in, um, it's not, is it Mar- Marion? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. In a farmhouse. Uh, beautiful life. Beautiful pictures. Yes. Interesting <laughs> endeavors. I love following his story. It is really Such cool an interesting story. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Especially because so much of it has to do with Atlanta, you know, yeah. and I mean, you know, chatting with people like Steven or, you know. Annie and um, yeah, Scott is is such a fixture that a lot of probably younger people, especially people, and just in terms of living in Atlanta, people who are moving to Atlanta now or within the next like couple of years, like they they might you're really gonna have to dig, you know, yeah. if you're new to Atlanta. Like Scott's a huge part of you know how a lot of this city was built, you yeah. know, very much like how Buckhead life really kind of sent that buckhead and then trickle down into what does it mean to dine out in Atlanta yeah. if you lived here in the 80s yeah. it's like well it's probably like a handful of places you know mm-hmm. probably like four you yeah. know and Panos and Pauls every event yeah. you know and um but uh but no it's just uh it's amazing and um so you're you're in Decatur at We're Watershed Decatur. and yeah. then so after your time there that's when Cakes and Ale comes about right yeah after about two and a half years we just were like you know we want to do something as much as I loved cooking the food, and Scott, one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got in cooking was from Scott. Uh, simple, his his bits and tidbits of advice are amazing, but you got to listen, you got to think about them. He's like, Chef Billy, do you know the only way food tastes good is when it tastes good? And when you think about that, it's, yeah, of course. But if you think about it, that's the process of getting their food. If it tastes good to me and I train my palate and I... I am of the opinion with with great confidence that it tastes good then i think the guest is going to get that so when you're cooking for somebody else my job is to make their food taste really really good based upon not just my palate but their palate so i just say okay what's scott's palate like and how can i train myself to think like scott now i bring some of my own skills which i learned over years um and maybe some natural we just decided, you know, I want to now make food that I think tastes good, you know, stylistically that I think I want to cook and that I'm of the opinion and I can teach people what I want. And Cakes and Ale came from that. The most simple restaurant for the first six months. Mm-hmm. Fish with vegetable and a starch. But I really tried to season everything properly, get hyper-seasonal um, uh, ingredients and cook everything properly. Yeah. I think I, every time that I went to cake snail for whatever reason, it was always like, I think I'm gonna order trout again. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, came later. Yeah. That oh, was, okay. That was yeah. a little, that, was, that yeah, came so. about six months after the first cake snail. So gotcha. we opened in the small location, which was up Ponce, um, mm-hmm. uh, in, let's see, my second son was born in 2007. So the beginning of 2008 mm-hmm. and, we were there for just under three years, um, and it was uh, Christian Lauterbach. Early on, called it the little restaurant that could. Nice. Because she just had no <laughs> clue how anything was happening in it. Because it, for Atlanta standards, it was tiny. Right. Very tiny. The mm-hmm. kitchen was minute. Um, very little cooking and storage space, um, which meant I had to be every day I had to bring things in because I didn't have space to store anything. Right. So it had to come in, you know, get processed uh, from whole animal down and I'd have to use it, you know, within a couple of days because I couldn't get vegetables in the next shipment of vegetables. in if I didn't have space, for right. It. Um, 
but yeah, we did that and then moved after almost three years. Um, had some great people, you know, like uh, Melissa working with us. And um, we still actually have some people from the original still working with us now. It's awesome. In this place. And, um, and then moved to the other location in uh, 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, whatever. And then closed a year and a quarter ago. Yeah. So, man, a little over 10 years yep. of cakes now. Yeah, 10 years of cakes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's most of it being on the square, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was such a, I mean, it was it was very easy to find your way to cakes now when I moved here. Uh, when my wife and I moved here, it was 2000, uh, I think we were, it was like between like 2012, 2013, um, you know, and, and cakes now was very much like a, if you're going to go to Decatur, there's probably, you know, a handful of places that are going to be like your first stop. If you've never, like we were, you know, I, I had only visited Atlanta and, um, but, uh, but Cakes and Ale was very much like the, the steadfast restaurant on the square that, that we knew was the place that we wanted to go for an occasion or that we wanted to take people. And that was truly representative of like, this is the quintessential great meal that you will have in Decatur in Atlanta. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. And we worked hard to, we just wanted to be consistent and mm-hmm. uh, people come in and enjoy the meal as part of the experience. Yeah. Never take away from the guests why they're there, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be occasion or just a night out and be a part of that, not, not overtake that. Yeah. sensation or experience away from who was coming in and you know i think we did pretty well um getting there yeah. um and you had to fight a lot of waves coming towards towards you people wanted an experience above and beyond what sometimes we could offer mm-hmm. um you know it was a very basic plain place and I, but i never i never felt like it was anything it was other pretty. than that yeah it was gorgeous yeah, but it, it never it always felt very self-aware in a good way yeah like i think nev- that's a good way to put it but it, it never felt um you know to me it never felt like cakes was uh was a kind of place that was you know more um like above itself in in by like you know name or you know reputation or like you know you you go to cakes and ale for this reason you know i mean i, I think in a good way a lot of people would associate like i mean if you're going to bacchanalia that must be a special occasion mm-hmm. you know like it just it must be you mm-hmm. know if you're going to um, you know, very much similar to like how you're going to a pretty fancy steakhouse. Like typically it's not like, oh, it's Tuesday and I'm hungry, mm-hmm. you know, but Cakes and Ale was always like, it, it seemed like it was the perfect merge of it's, it's where you go if you live local, mm-hmm. but also if you're visiting, it's worth the trip, yeah. you know? And, but the food was never, um, there was never any ounce of pretense. It was always just very straightforward. Like you said, well-seasoned presented the way that it's supposed to taste and uh i i can't ever remember having a meal that was not extremely memorable yeah thank you um it goes if it tastes good then it should taste good right you know it's it's simple and that's what all the cooks that have come through the kitchen the biggest conversation is did you taste it did you taste it did you taste it yeah yes chef yes chef well how many times once not enough Mm -hmm. twice not enough Mm -hmm. you got to keep doing it and that's it's a hard thing to learn because yeah a lot of people you know if you grew up on modern cooking tv you know there's flash you're throwing salt (laughs) and you're you know there's there's no uh, 
thought about the process getting to the end dish because you just want to get to the end. You want to see what yeah. the final score is. And, yeah, uh, I think we've um, we've very much made the the speed and the gravity of high volume restaurants a very sexy thing for yeah. people to to latch onto. Of like, man. Billy's in there and his chef whites. There's fire in every pan. He's yelling at people. Mm-hmm. Like there's just tickets like printing out of the walls and like, man, working in a restaurant is such a pirate ship. Like, yeah. well, yeah, it is, but probably not in the way that you might think. Like it's like dialing in nuance in flavor is yeah. uh, something that happens over time, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so funny to me because, you know, like I, 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 I love getting to hear people's story because, you know, this is like the broken down version of like what your day probably looks like on the mm-hmm. regular. Um, you know, for the most part, like you're dealing with pretty mundane business things. Yeah. Did the truck come in late? I had to fire three people. You know, my sous chef is, you know, sick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just getting my ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that sounds probably more, cause I mean, I grew up with that with both of my parents, you know, working in restaurants mm-hmm. and like, it's uh it it was like yeah i mean you know there's a lot of like beauty to it but you know in 85 hours a week like Mm -hmm. um most of the time you know like it's just a matter of you know this is what life is like you know but you know the those those moments that feel like they're celebrated on tv are so short-lived yeah 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 Yeah. the the enjoyment comes in so many places and in cooking for me and the lack of enjoyment comes from so many (laughs) so many places that um you know and i mean you no, I mean, one of the things that was hard, and I don't know if it was hard on you with your parents being in restaurants, is I miss so much time. Big time. And yeah. that during the process of doing it, I knew it, but I didn't, or I felt it, but I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about that now, and what, what could I have done differently so I could have been a bigger part of both of my son's lives back then, you know, and why did we finally close Cakes and Ale is I totally came to the realization I can't do all this and be a big part of their lives the way I want to sure. be. It, it, it's, it's just impossible. I can still work many, many hours here mm-hmm. and visit with the bakery and gorge myself all I want. Mm-hmm. And I still have time for my family where I didn't when, especially when all three were open yeah. and especially when I was a, a younger, less self-aware cook chef whatever whatever i was um yeah. early cakes and ale time where i didn't feel like i could take any time away yeah and every day was 8 a.m until close it's my way my way my way my way you know and people that worked with me i think they saw the the the, the work ethic and the passion and the care and the love and did i get angry sometimes yeah of course i i did um, regrettably, in retrospect, nothing outlandish, at least in my opinion. I think it's a good opinion. It's true. But <laughs> enough that I now, because of the self-awareness now, I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore because I've got to enjoy this. Yeah. And that's been the biggest change, leaving Cakes and Ale. Not how I manage or how I run the business. I still, when you come here, now this is, uh, we're talking Bread and Butterfly now. It's a much more designed much more fanciful place um and we did that purposely we wanted it to feel that way because we went from you know cakes and ale that i thought was beautiful but was minimalist to something a bit more more to add a little more to the experience other than you know looking eye to eye with someone you're dining with and Mm -hmm. eating the food and you know really not hearing any music there to something that you know gives 
the guest a little bit more entertainment. Um, yeah. And that's been, I think, a fun transition for me because I did a little more, unfortunately, than you know, visit, meet with my chefs and meet with people here and talk to them, pop in once in a while, come work a brunch when I had wasn't working at Cakes and Ale. Yeah. Now that I'm here and I get to take that in, the experience is really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like now it's not as much work for me. It's fun. You know, yeah. I'm having a good time cooking. and But the guest experience um, is still what we're after. You know, yeah. what is the guest experiencing? Food is a tiny piece of it. Yeah. Just a small piece of it. It's are we making you comfortable with your whoever you're dining with or if you're yeah. dining alone? Are we entertaining you enough that you feel comfortable? Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine here in Atlanta who owns restaurants told it to me in a way that I've never even thought of saying it is when you go to a restaurant and you're a diner, food will come. It might be late. It mm-hmm. might be busy as hell and like they're getting killed in the kitchen. It's going to take you 30 minutes to get your chicken sandwich or whatever it is that you're, you know, so stoked about or ever, but food will come, but yeah. it doesn't always mean that that level of elevated service will come with it. Yeah. Like that's the factor that's always kind of dangling out there mm-hmm. that, it's it's kind of a narrow road. It's like some people really land on it and they do it well, and others mm-hmm. like it's just never a thought to yeah. to really pay the right type of attention to. Yeah, yeah. A while ago, we did a interview. This is I can't remember the number of years ago, but I was like, we're on a when a guest comes in, we're on a journey together. Like we can only guide you to uh, exhilaration if that's what you're after, or enjoyment, or whatever it is. But you have to the guest has to be part of the experience. Mm-hmm. You know which goes to your point it may take a little bit of time to get there it may take longer than you want it may take less time we don't know but we're doing our best to guide you and we'll we train our staff to when things are moving slowly or food's not coming out or anything that may bring anxiety which is the hardest part of dining out now is there's anxiety everywhere (laughs) yeah um from kitchen to diners and and the servers are like in between all this anxiety getting ping pong back and forth but you know just go if they seem open and fun, go talk to them a little bit. It's amazing how long, how much time you can fill with a short conversation. Right. You know, and Big time. you know, and talk about what what brings a guest in, but other things. You know, listen to them. You know, listening is a very funny thing that uh, servers don't yeah. always get, kitchen staff don't yeah. get. Table forty seven really likes to overshare. Yeah. 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 Really likes to overshare. Too yeah. much detail. Yeah, too much, too much detail. detail. Just <laughs> the food. Bring Just don't food. give it back. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Your French toast will be ready in about, you know, five minutes. Yeah. Be right on. <laughs> Thanks for telling me about your grandmother's dog, though. It's, yeah. Hard to hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, you know, like as you guys are running Cakes and Ale and then Bread and Butterfly, you know, as, as Inman Quarter is kind of, you know, imminent and on the rise. I mean, like this whole thing just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. It seems it, it's so hard to to think back, you know, because we we were in Candler Park and now we live in the Highlands. But, you know, we've walked the Beltline since it was open and, you know, really like paved and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of everything up and coming. And it's it's so hard to think back to what everything was like before the whole space with like New Realm and then like here at Inman Quarter and like everything else down the Beltline line like mm-hmm. past Krog and um it seems like this just whole this whole thing just really happened but yeah. what was that like for you guys to be running cakes and ale and then proof and then this comes about yeah so 
the developer of this location would come into Cakes and Ale Cafe, the cafe at Cakes and Ale regularly and eat quiche, quiche and some pastry or whatever. And he was an avid bike rider, so he'd ride bikes, come in, have a, have a quiche and a salad. And he just fell in love with the simplicity. And that, to quote him, he's like, it's just so simple but so good and it just makes me happy. And he would, you know, eat the quiche and you'd see him smiling. And he was like, you know, we're doing a development after he'd been in, you know, you know, at least in general jokingly but my staff says if you don't come in to eat at least four or five times billy doesn't talk to you <laughs> i was like i really don't talk to anybody i'm usually in the kitchen um, you're not even talking to me right now so i'm just i'm talking to exactly. whomever is listening <laughs> I don't know, anyone that's out there but um he's he's like we have to have this in inman quarter and we were a little reluctant because uh, with development comes issues grander than than just development issues, you know, neighborhood issues, yeah. et cetera. We didn't know if we wanted to do it. We didn't know if we could do it, but I had to put together a pretty amazing staff of people um, from bakers to sous chefs and just cooks and management and service and, and almost in a, a ridiculous abundance of it. And mm-hmm. we're like, if this is gonna, if we're gonna do anything ever, this is when to do it because we have all the talent. At, uh, whether by luck, we trained a lot of people. Um, yeah, teaching is is one of the lost arts in this this business. Showing someone to do something and teaching them how are in completely different. Yeah, especially realms. like with the understanding and like essentially like what is the theory behind why yeah. this exists. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like when people are just so focused on yeah, you know, how do I get from a to B. It's like, mm-hmm. well, spend more time on the A. Yeah, you know, totally. like if you want to be a baker, you know, spe- or pastry. It's like, dude, like, it's it's not even just about paying your dues and like putting in the time. Like, you literally have to put in the time to actually know how to do like the most basic shit. Yeah. You know, like, you don't just start making pie dough like a pro. No. You know, you don't bake. All. You don't do sourdough like one day. You no, know, and then like, oh, I'll do it again. You're yeah. like. You're going to screw it up nine times before you get it right yeah. once. Watch your starter. When you feed a starter and it, you add the, the flour and the hydration and you're yeah. just sitting there, like watch it over a short period of time. It's amazing. It just starts eating it and growing and growing yeah. and growing. It's like the fog and it's just, you know, did I do everything right? Is mm-hmm. the humidity right? Is everything right? And that starter is just while you're watching it, it's mm-hmm. coming more alive than it was before, yeah. you know. But you, you, you mentioned you mentioned something specifically around like you know uh, just like baking and pastry and you know I mean that that was such a that was another portion of cakes and ale that I just loved like having the cafe it was like it was always like you know we're not going to cakes and ale because we just went for dinner like mm-hmm. you know last month or something like that but the cafe was always there as an anchor mm-hmm. same thing with proof like being on decab like you guys were kind of ahead of a lot of people using you know decab used to just be like this murder road if you were not driving right like you're probably going to get in a serious car accident and then there's your bakery right on the side of it you know as marta's passing by and then like here kind of like taking the more like you know as like a patisserie like it's you know like there's a lot uh that's happening on like the bakery side with you guys and um, you know, one of the, and I mean, this is a compliment, like one of the most recognizable things that I can always spot is like, I know that that's a croissant that has Billy Allen's name all yeah. over it because they're so huge Yes, and it, it's, you know, but there's a lot of excellence in like how you guys have presented the bakery side of things and like the pastry side of things. And, 
um, it's really easy to see that you you have you know you have a huge you know just interest in it, but you guys have also collected an incredible amount of talented individuals to to really you know be be on the map specifically for that yeah, outside of yeah. just being restaurants. Yeah. I think the bakery is the environment, and I really do little other than show up, talk to them, help them work through problems, management problems taste i do a lot of tasting i enjoy that aspect of it I and do too. but they they've been very good about next person in line type mentality is we're going to train down the line so you know people there's a unfortunately a finite time at which in general people stay together on so many levels a long time ago you may have an employee especially in the kitchen for 10 a dozen years everything's shrinking as far as I think, I don't know if it's people's interest or what people want to do or availability to the next thing um, or just life. And, but I, I, I say this because I really am proud of how they, we hire there and everyone is, wants to learn. Everyone wants to do a good part of being one of the few, really few bakeries in Atlanta is I think you have a great number of people that want to do that. Yeah. Something extra, amazing and special and unique about being a baker mm-hmm. um whether it be the bread or cakes and pastries like there's just something about it that i think there's more per capita talent than bakeries in atlanta or people that really want yeah. to do mm-hmm. whereas the rest of it there's a far short a large shortage of talent that want to come into the vast number of restaurants in town yeah um, but the uh, the croissants, it's funny you say it, because in general, one of the biggest criticisms of cakes and ale over time and bread and butterfly in general is portion, portions, portions, portions. And hmm. it's a really s- sticky subject with me because I was raised on, in general, uh, moderate portions and yeah. gr- living in California and eating and cooking in California, moderation. Right. When you come to the South, it's you know big. When I saw the first couple plates at Watershed, I'm like, oh my God this is so much food right like how can we serve this much food for this price and um so now moderation moderate doesn't mean small or inadequate it just means you don't need to take a doggy bag home yeah um eat up to the point you don't need a doggy bag right and you're probably okay but to kind of set ourselves aside and almost a middle finger a little bit to that is we're going to make these pastries these croissants so big that you know them and you nailed it. Yeah. Why? One of the other reasons is there's enough bakeries doing it. Like, how can this stand out? Yeah. You know, we know it's big. We get it. Would the French do the, you know, if I get a French person in, especially, do they go, oh my God, and it's mildly offensive? Yes, it does, but it is part of the business. And right. that's a, you know, a thing. It's part of thing. your brand, man. It's and part of the brand is this thing is going to be otherworldly. It is such a recognizable croissant and and the fact that it's still i mean it, it's it's amazing like how can if if you've executed croissant properly it is really hard to it for it to not just be wonderful it's yeah. gonna it's gonna hit every note that it needs to where you're like this is so satisfying mm-hmm. but also the fact that it's quite literally larger than most of my face yeah. is is also just really cool yeah you know yeah. i mean i've seen it in so many places i mean we go to um we go to the the farmer's market at Pond city every Tuesday okay. and like they're always there, yep. you know? So my kids always want a cookie, you yep. know, right before dinner, of course. 
Um, but, uh, but that's just like, it's, it's one of the things, you know? And, um, but I love that that's always been, you know, it's kind of been a constant, you know, of like, I, I've known that from like the bakery at Cake Snail mm -hmm. and then here. And then also at proof is like, that's like a, it's an anchor point, yeah. you know, it really is. So, yeah. and I, I think, think, I think it's okay. We, we can, you don't have to eat it all in this case. The <laughs> problem is it is well made. That's the key. It's when you look at the, the layers and the rings and the, mm -hmm. um, the texture, like start to finish, it's well made and, yeah. and delicious. And, uh, so why don't you want to just keep eating it? Yeah. You know? And, and so we'll bring one home and slice it in four and have it with our breakfast on a weekend. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's enough to satiate, but then I crave more and I'm like, why didn't I bring two home? And I yeah. could have had double the amount. And, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's okay in that case to, you know, the gluttony is okay. I think. Yeah. On that level. So, you know, there's, um, there's something really interesting about, you know, having, having a lot of history in Atlanta, like as a, as a restaurant owner, as a chef, um, you've seen a lot. You yeah, know, you've seen a lot of just the ebb and flow of people, people's interests, like how people like to dine. You know, what are your thoughts on like what type of energy we have here in Atlanta? Because you've you've been a part of it really as it was taking more shape and definition and then on the rise. And then to today sitting at your restaurant at Inman Quarter, you know, you know, what what's what's your take on what's going on? Atlanta's moving and this is every level, whether it be restaurant or banking or real estate like Atlanta is just flying right now mm -hmm. like it is moving so fast uh, sometimes too fast but with that has come I think a development of a very good core group of restaurants restaurateurs chefs and a dining public that is all they're they're trying to figure it out right now you know we're it's a work in progress as big and as much as it boomed it's still a little work in progress um and i said this a few years ago in another interview that you know atlanta's a work in progress it's trying to find itself but when i think it was about the time you know we moved to the new a little past moving to the new location and you know decatur was still booming and a bunch of other restaurants were opening and atlanta was finding its own feet you know, mm -hmm. you, and you had some chefs opening some pretty awesome places. You know, I, I Todd Ginsburg opening up a, a superb deli, you yeah. know, like a superb deli with really good food um, mm -hmm. that was a destination, mm -hmm. you know, especially for Atlantans. But I'd say I, I, I'd send people there from out of town anyways, because yeah. it's a unique version of a deli, yeah. I think, in ways. And um so we had all this going on it was really exciting and a lot of foundation a lot swimming around us and then comes another boom in atlanta that almost out of control you know and where it came from and as a finance person you know i look at it and i'm like well the whole key to all this is supply and demand that's economics you know you have a supply curve and a demand curve that's the basics of it our supply keeps going up and up and up and up and up is our demand going to keep up with it? And demand could be a number of people, but it could be, you know, we're on the curve to number of people. Sorry, I'm getting really dorky on economics, but um, 
where, where do they, you know, where, where is the demand for all this going to come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, that's been the hardest thing to look at. And that's what I've seen in Atlanta is now we have a supply way above what is needed. Good and bad things are going to open, things are going to close. Where is the demand and how are you going to capture that demand? Yeah. And I think that's what's going on in Atlanta right now is restaurants have to differentiate. But they also, I think, is what I want to do. I want to hold strong. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started back here full time a year and a quarter ago or whatever, I had a vision of what I wanted it to become. And I wanted it to become a true neighborhood restaurant, even more so than Cakes and Ale was. Cakes and Ale was destination, was neighborhood. It was all kinds of things. I want this to be the quintessential neighborhood restaurant um, that you can come from out of town and hear about and read about it. But I'm less interested in that than the people that live in the neighborhood or the regulars that may drive, especially now that, uh, you know, the Marta line is right up there to cater to here. So easy. Yeah. Um, Why not come from Decatur if you love cakes and ale? You know, the food is different but similar pedigree. Yeah. Um, And I think you guys did that with with cakes and ale so well, you know, I mean, it was uh, it was it was built on a probably like a just a different era of Atlanta where I think, you know, bread and butterflies still being completely, you know, like under your vision and, you know, essentially goals as a as a chef and and restaurant owner. It's it is being more like built for for that style of dining. Mm-hmm. I think we've we've kind of maybe moved far past the idea that dining is such a formal experience yeah. where, you know, good food is just good food yeah. when it's good food. And it doesn't matter if you're wearing a suit and tie, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're wearing an evening dress. Like mm-hmm. good food can be experienced in any number of places yeah. and I think it's more of like how are people attributing where they're dining mm-hmm. and you know, I, I think what's what's so great about Inman Quarter and like where Bread and Butterfly is, is that, you know, it's um, it, it does lend itself to being the kind of place where, you know, as someone who's a local, like if it was busy and we wanted to bring friends who are visiting us from out of town, like would we wait on a Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's also the kind of place that's worth the trip. And but I, I think you're you're playing a lot more to to the and you're bending the ear of the diner. You know that is looking for an elevated casual experience yeah. if that's the proper definition yeah whatever. i think we went back a little to the original cakes and ale mm-hmm. that was what the, when we opened that was exactly uh, why we did it is we wanted dining and eating well and having good service and drinking good wine um i mean we were doing wines that atlanta didn't drink back then and i was hell-bent that i was going to do it regardless of profit or not profit or people liked them or didn't like them mm-hmm. um a lot of french wines and but we wanted it to be a place that you could experience all this stuff some of it new some of it familiar but take all the pretense out and so what coming back to bread and butterfly you know somewhere in the middle cakes and ale i think i stuck to my laurels as far as what i was cooking in a way but um it became a little more destination and less local, which I'm very proud of when people seek you out. That's very flattering. And we had a lot of people seeking out mm-hmm. here. We have a lot of seeking for brunch, especially. Um, but this is a full f- uh, service. We're open 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. on weekdays until 10 or 10.30 at night. And we serve food 
the whole day through. There are no breaks. You can yeah. eat the whole time except for Sunday when we close at 2.30 and everyone uh, claps and yeah. says there goes sorry. a week. Yeah, but yeah. the um, we want to be a place that the guests can have fun. So part of the fun is eating well. Clearly, from my standpoint, that's very important as a chef and a cook. But we have live music. We want people to be entertained. And it being entertained can come in many forms. People put games out now, which is fun, especially with kids, you know, going somewhere. But, um, yeah, see, nature. Nature is... Wildlife. Nature is, is coming. <laughs> all around. It's all around. <laughs> um, but the, the, we were, I was talking with um, someone yesterday, one of our musicians for Wednesday uh, night, and just a really cool guy. He plays guitar, uh, keeps it low, so you can still have a very... Uh, intimate conversation with your dining partner or, or table because it's not loud but mm-hmm. he also can entertain you if you have a, a lull and he'll play and I love this he'll he'll rearrange a, a, like Three's Company the theme song from Three's Company and at first you don't know what it is and then you stop and you listen or mm-hmm. at a lull in conversation you hear it and you're like oh that's Three's Company yeah. but it doesn't sound like Three's Company until you, you pick it up and there's something you know, I think super fun about that and entertaining, but it's not getting in the way of the experience that you're having with your table mates. Yeah. You know, we don't want to overpower it, whether it be loud music in general or the live music or um, uh, bad acoustics. We want this to be about I'm sitting here across from you having dinner and we can either talk, listen to the music or... Um, meet a table next to us because our tables are you know relatively tight for atlanta standards right um, so you <laughs> people know. need to chill out about go, that yeah so we go were, eat at a deli in new york and you'll oh figure God, out what no, comfort no. feels yeah, go, like go eat at prune in new york right oh been. my yeah. a, that's a broom closet with a restaurant yeah. in it yeah yeah but um but yeah man you know i, I think i uh, i think it's it's so it's so refreshing to to know a lot of your story to have dined in your restaurants that have since sunsetted and that are still going multiple times and seeing seeing the type of energy that that are that's drawn to your places of business is um is great you know and i think to to see how much energy you know like you guys are putting into you know proof and bread and butterfly and like you know cake's nail was an amazing ride and a lot of people were sad by something closing mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it has to take you know, wind out of sales of anything else that's still going really well. Yeah, you know? no, we're, we're proud. Like, Cakes and Ale, um, I've said this to people, and it sounds, it could sound arrogant, it could sound whatever, but I would have enjoyed it a little bit more had I realized how good it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I was cooking well, I knew we were serving well, I knew we had good wine, great wine, I knew we, we, everything was about it, but it's hard to do that because there's an arrogance to it. And I never wanted that as a chef to be okay. That's an arrogant chef or that's whatever. And, um, so the moments of enjoyment were interrupted with, okay, I've, I've got to be, you know, I got to pull this thing back. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just saying it actually is really good. Yeah. Like it was a really simple statement, but it's really hard. And For I think sure. a lot of chefs feel that, totally. you know, is how far can I go to talk about myself? And yeah, in an interview, clearly we're talking about, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I feel much more self-aware, much more comfortable saying it was a really good restaurant and I'm really proud of it. And 10 years is 
enough to have accomplished something that I wanted to do to sure. set out and do it. And um, would I have liked to see it 20 years from now and see what it would be like? Maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Like, yeah. I don't know what it would be because yeah. it was a big, it's a big part of me. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, it's funny too, you know, cause I mean, over the years, like going to cakes nail and then like coming here and going to proof. I mean, I, I've actually recorded podcasts at proof. I don't know if you knew that. Okay, no. I don't know if that was against the rules. I'm no, sorry. Go for it. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but you know, like the, the whole time, I mean, honestly, like I, it, it never felt like it was overly, um, you know, focused on one person or personality. Like mm-hmm. it always seemed like it had its own identity. And yeah. I think you've kept that alive. I mean, I yeah. think, I think the hard work that you put into your restaurants really shows and, um, it's, it's not just about, you know, who you are and it's my, my way, like we're going to do this because it's the way that I want to do it, but you've done it with excellence and you, you've brought dining to Atlanta. You know, you've, you've kept a lot of like standard that I think that we're continuing to continuing to scale with, but mm-hmm. you know, you've, um, you've been a huge part of that definition, man. Yeah, really we tried. So. We worked hard at it. It was, yeah. you know, restaurants are hard work, but that's a given. Mm-hmm. The rest of the hard work comes with you know, holding yourself true and fast. Yeah. You, know, you just get into podcasting, man. This thing is so easy. <laughs> no, God, no. You're, no, man. But is, I, I am, I am, uh, what you do in this is, uh, it's truly like, it's, it's such a cool thing because the ability to talk to somebody and pull things out, like, I mean, it's an art. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's, I mean, it, but it's fun, man. I, I think that the best thing about hearing your story and anyone else's story is, you know, it, it's this thing that I came up with, but it's, it's the, it's the thing or the people who make Atlanta or what makes Atlanta such an amazing place to be an eater. And, yeah. th- and it's not just like good food. Mm-hmm. You can get good food if it's good food. Mm-hmm. You can get food in my house. I yeah. can make you good food, but yeah. it's the people behind it that make it something more than just what's on your plate, yeah. you know? And, but, and you guys have done that over the years, man. Yeah. Um, That's what I think Atlanta... There are some really, not just good cooks or talent. There's just some good people in this business yeah. here, and that's the exciting part for me. Is Big time. As we go forward, is and back to the question you said you asked about, you know, where is Atlanta dining? Regardless of what happens, there are some really awesome people in this business here. Yeah. Um, as much as I can imagine, anywhere if not more. Yeah. You Big know? time. And it's a it's uh, that. Other cities should be envious of that. Big time. Oh, I totally agree, man. But, man, it's so great to catch well, up with no, you. I appreciate it after I, months I, of pulling it together. But we were waiting for the better weather. We were. Yeah. So we'll get together in, I think, if we're going to keep with the the amount of time and it just, you know, compounds on, we'll meet in the next, like, nine years. Yeah, we'll do so, it one more time. Yeah, we'll do it one more time. Yeah, yeah. you may have to be. I'll be retired somewhere. Yeah, maybe someone else will be hosting the podcast then. So <laughs> yeah. It'll be great. Yeah, but yeah. Billy Allen, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it very much. Such a Thank pleasure. You. Many thanks to Billy for joining me for this episode. And if you've yet to visit Bread and Butterfly or Proof, pay them both a visit and go have the largest croissant of your life and enjoy every single bit of it. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz. And you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.